when it comes to safety, safety, in my opinion, with some minor adjustments to the app, falls more on the drivers themselves and knowing their environment and having their mindsets right. Um, so even if you showed them everything on the app as far as transparency goes, that still doesn't that still isn't guaranteeing your safety. No, um, not at all. That's and, that's. You know, don't you think that some of that micromanaging stuff that they do is basically just to cover their butts when they, you know, legally and you can do what you want. I mean, it's not like, no, 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 not in my opinion, because we all have state and local laws that dictate how we can protect ourselves with when we're either out in public, you know, just cruising around doing whatever. And when we have our jobs, right. Right. Um, say that your local law says that you know you have a concealed carry or whatever but DoorDash says hey no you can't take a gun in your car um, and something happens and somebody goes to sue you I think DoorDash says that just to kind of take themselves out of the situation you know what I mean if they want to kind of falls take themselves on you. out of the situation they need to hire employees honestly you know I mean if, if they're going to say that you are doing this as a business and not as an employee, they've got to give you that right to operate your business. Right. I agree. You know, and I'm not saying they're right. right. I'm just saying that that's what I think. Well, that no, I understand that too. Yes. And it's the same thing with having like the extra apps helping you out. I mean, you're not going to tell a carpenter which hammer to use or which tools work best for the job. So why are they telling us as independent contractors, hey, you can't use the driver utility helper app or para or para. On there, it should be up to us if this is really our job. They're giving us a job to do, but if we're independent, we should be able to use whatever tools we have in our bag to get that job done efficiently. Sure. Yeah. Back well, to the back to the here. back to the issue of weapons, yeah. real quick, and we won't hit on it long. I mean, that is a really loaded question because okay. I can tell you most of the rideshare drivers I know, and I'm keeping it easy here when I say mace, taser, and then I leave the last one as just weapons. That could be a knife or whatever else. Machete. Most people, most drivers I know, easily more than half of the drivers I know carry one of those things. I carry I carry a firearm with me whenever. And I'm every one of and every one of them breaks the the TOS. Yeah, but yeah, because, again, because it's my business and it's my life. So. Yeah, because. Yeah, because at the end of the day, we're talking safety here. We're talking your safety. Um, I, I could care less how much I'm going to get paid for that ride if I'm about to die. So I'm going to take the measures not to die at that point. I could care less if I'm on Uber's platform at the end of the day. As long as I'm still alive, I can sign up for another platform. You know, Uber's not going to Uber's not going to pay for your funeral. So at right. that point, I don't care what Uber, Lyft, or DoorDash says at the end of the day. If, I, if I'm going to die, I'm going to make sure I don't die. That's my first concern. And that should be everybody's first concern. Not worrying about what the apps think. Don't care what the yeah. app thinks. You care about yourself. Ron was supposed to, Ron Entree Courier was supposed to be here tonight. I want to put up the chart to show all of you guys. It's not, you know, it's pretty easy to read. I want all you guys to look at this um, because this is 82 or 85 days from when Ron, this is long before everybody else was doing these top dasher challenges. This is back in um, maybe February, March or something of this year, long before all these things were going on where everybody's trying for it. And he was doing a test here in Denver, my market. And here's what he found. So going from left to right with acceptance rate and the hourly earnings, you can see what he's saying with the minutes between. So he's saying that if you wait three minutes between, you're on the blue scale. Um, 
two minutes between orders. So if you're like picking which orders you want as top dasher uh, on the red and one minute between and you're picking something during that minute. And again, he noted that in a decent to busy market, so not a market that's really slow might not apply to this, but this actually kind of generally applies to markets. And what he's saying is that when he started at day one of the of all the days, he was at just about $19 an hour consistently as top dasher. And as he went to the far right, uh um, he's, he's showing here at the very end, that's at, uh, what is that? 5%. So he was saying that the sweet spot is 15%, which you can see is the high point on every one of the colors for what you can earn in money. So he did this test. He, he stayed in the top dasher status and you can see that the lines broke apart how they did in the minutes. I mean, he did a really good, if you can follow this, he did a very good job showcasing what happened here. But clearly you can see, and again, this is, a, we all know it's market to market, but he did this in a generalized way. He's a very smart guy. Um, I don't know, you know, David knows him pretty well too, like me. And uh, yeah, he's he, just super deep on all this stuff. And I think the takeaway he had was super interesting is basically you earn more up until you get to sort of that 35 to 30% acceptance rate. And then basically on average, it starts going down uh, for people then. Um, and he thought, but he really thought that the peak was, he, he said, yeah, he said the peak was 15 to 30%, that that was the actual sweet spot. <laughs> yeah. But how I many, mean, how many like 30, 40, $50 orders could be floating around there all day long? That's the thing. I don't know. This is 82 that's why, days that's why based I on always, average that's why hourly I always earnings. have an argument with Roy because he says DoorDash caps you. And we always have that argument. It's like, dude, it's not that the DoorDash caps me. It's like, how many people out there could be ordering 30 40 dollar orders back and forth to where i yeah. could cherry pick them you get what i'm saying it's a it, it, it's like impossible you right know, uh, people only order can only order so much you know unless i'm, I'm going to be jumping different markets and like trying to catch stuff over there yeah. but then you only have so much time out it's it's funny because we can get we can get more to the deeper part of this. I said this to one of the engineers on our team, basically like, look at this awesome analysis Ron Andre Career did. He goes, uh, I would love to build a model to uh, basically answer exactly that. It's like, what sort of things are lurking or not lurking there beyond certain acceptance rates and see if you make recommendations based on somebody's acceptance or rejection rate, whether mm -hmm. they should accept or reject the next one. So hopefully next time. We well, I mean, they, we'll I mean deeper, you guys, he went as far answer. as to do like this. I mean, I'll just do it a little kind of quickly here. He's saying, so here's how it works. And I think he might have messed up one of the colors when I was reading. Like he didn't relate it to the chart as the correct color. I think it's here. Yellow should have been another color maybe. But um, here's how it works. At a 50% rate, I'd have rejected 85 delivery offers and accepted 85. If, if there's an on average one minute between delivery offers, that's an additional 85 minutes wait time that you add to everything. If it's two minutes, it's 170 minutes you add. If it's three minutes, you add 255. And then he's showing you here at the different, on the yellow line, so doing it in with accepting one, at least one order that comes in within a minute of ending one. Here's where the, here's where the hourly pay fell. Although that line at the bottom is what's wild to me is a 5% acceptance rate stays the same as 100% acceptance rate. Yeah, that's what he was showing in the scale is that if you look, yeah. 5% meet, 
on the yellow meets exi- actually it's a little more at five percent than it is at a hundred. <laughs> so, I mean, it's pretty sad. Um, you know, if he does show that if you're waiting two minutes by five percent, you're making you know what fourteen something, you know, or whatever. And here, I mean, here it is. So yeah, I mean it. Um, however, if you have a three minute wait time, now he's talking about the yellow again. The sweet spot on the three minutes is 65 to 35%. And here's how he shows why. But I think that's why he's smart too, is I, it shows different markets, right? So some people you're lucky to get a ping every minute. Some people's market just takes every couple minutes to get a ping. And I that, think that's why when we have these conversations with people in different markets, sometimes yeah, I think, I think he's kind of one thing he right? didn't add in here that I think Ron and I have talked about, because Ron and I have had many podcasts on his and mine. And um, one thing he's mentioned to me, if I remember right, he's basing this on seeing three, four plus uh, per minute orders kind of thing. I also think that why you notice sort of the algorithm changing is there are sort of like things that feed into it that do get tweaked, right? Oh, I think so too. Yeah, when I sort of worked at Uber, we do this analysis of like, you know, hey, what are the average, you know, what does earnings look like? And, And at the time, I was sort of uh, working in Las Vegas, right? And we do this analysis of like, hey, what does the strip look like versus locals versus, you know, all of this. And there was a lot of sort of like, we're trying to win business with locals. So we're going to change the structure of sort of strip earnings versus non-strip earnings. Uh, And I remember something really interesting that happened there, right? Was that we had to do this analysis that basically said like, hey, the wait time and the time on trip doesn't really work on the Las Vegas strip because have you been there during a boxing match or have you been there during CES? It's a disaster basically. And I remember that was like the first time in Uber's history. I think I made, like we did the analysis and said, Hey, we should lower, we should raise up the minimum pay basically. Right. And we did this whole analysis on like, Hey, like this just isn't the same as everywhere else. Like it's not fair just given the dynamics here. So I think at the time I remember my manager saying, there's no way in the history of this company, they've never raised minimum floor pay basically but we went and did this analysis and it actually got approved so i guess the reason i'm telling this sort of long story is that i don't think the algorithm is super sophisticated and like a hey we're accomplishing all of these things but there was there is somebody who's looking at it at with some sort of a geographic sense of it looking at it right so there is some complexity which is why i think people pick up on patterns and behaviors and stuff like that because it's just it is happening I'm about to go to John, but Tony, I'm going to skip you because until you and Ron, because you were, you have been a top dasher this month. Um, but yeah, so John, uh, you and the algorithms. And again, yeah. you don't even need to think of it as, well, however you view it. Are right. there, are there, because you're good at this stuff, man. Are there patterns? Are you seeing patterns with a lot of the apps? And if they change, you know, was it a change? Like, was there an update that day? And all of a sudden now there's a change in your pattern. So as far as pattern wise, I think the one that I've actually noticed a pattern on before and kind of tried to document it through videos was with DoorDash. So, and I kind of explained the specific pattern that I saw. So with DoorDash, I think a lot of people talk about your overall acceptance rate, right? And what I found, and this is uh, unique because I tested this kind of after the first time it happened uh, during a different shift. So the first day, uh, I tested my intradash acceptance rate. When I say my intradash, meaning like if I schedule a shift, for example, a, a lunch shift from 11 a.m. to 2 p.m., 
uh, it's just looking at my acceptance rate from the time I turn on that dash till I end that dash. And I did this one day during lunch where I just said, okay, if I try to track my intra-dash acceptance rate during lunch, does anything different happen? What I noticed is that that day for the first time, and this was the my, well, this was the first time I've seen this, that I accepted consistent orders. My intra-dash acceptance rate was around 30, 35%. And I started getting a triple stack orders, meaning I would be, I'd get one order, uh, I'd maybe get another add-on. And then when I'm on the way to deliver one of those two, I would get a third offer before I've even dropped off the first. And I was like, hmm, that's the first time I've ever seen, you know, getting three orders at once. Uh, so that I did that once during a lunch, and I did that, tried to test that again during a dinner rush, kind of did it a shift again, um, try and do – because like usually my acceptance rate, just for reference, is usually around, I'd say, 10 to 15% overall. So uh, going to 30% is kind of double for me. So doing that again during the dinner rush, uh, trying to realize that acceptance rate for my intro dash, I was able to, once again, I got an order. I'm sorry, I got a stacked order, I think, and then I got an add-on for that. So once again, getting three orders. Um, outside of that, that was the only time I'd ever had three orders at once on the DoorDash platform. Um, but doing that, I was able to um, recreate that at least three or four different times in my market. So that's the other thing, the other exclusion I'll say is I don't know if that was something based on my market, based on the order of, uh, based on the order volume at that time, because there's certain things that have to be in place for that to even be able to be possible. Sure. Um, so that's the one pattern that I see that I notice uh, with other gig apps, like um, never noticed that with Uber Eats or with Grubhub. Uh, in my market, I just don't think there's the volume there for that to even be tested, because um, I just... I don't get Grubhub orders often enough, maybe two to three offers an hour. Um, and that's when I'm multi-apping. So, you know, there are some time where Grubhub is off. Uh, and same yeah. With eats. yeah. So, Michelle, um, what about you? Have you, again, it doesn't need to be algorithm. Let's kind of more say patterns. Have you seen patterns on apps that have lasted oh. for a certain amount of time or... You know, things where you're pretty sure you've figured something up. And, and the reason that we're talking about this tonight, guys, is because there's a lot of people, like we discussed last week out there, saying there's a lot. And it's, you know, is it clickbait or is it real? Are they really trying to talk about this? Saying, saying we have broke the algorithm. It's everywhere. And I don't like this. And I'm not, I'm not upset at anybody for doing it. People create how you want. I'm just saying... I don't think anybody has broke the algorithm. You guys have long-term goals outside of gig work. Is gig mm. work a means to an end? Or is it even a means to a means where it'll still be on the side if and when needed? Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Um, you know, I think goals are always personal to, to each individual. I, I definitely have long-term goals. And uh, some people know about them. I share about a little bit of that on my channel. Um, you know, my goal for me is I knew last year, of last January when I started, no, was it last? Yeah. Hold on. Are we the year? Anyways, it's been a year and a half. Yeah. Of me being full-time gig work. Right. I, I had a goal. Like, I'm going to grind for six months and learn my market, learn these apps, make some videos, whatever I had, you know, and, and I was able to do that. So I, I knew in the beginning there was going to be a lot of like active work, like physically in my car, physically delivering food, picking up passengers, making a video, like, and I, I knew that was going to take some time. And then 
I start then the second phase of my goal is okay, a little bit less on the gig apps, but a little bit more on like other things I got going on, other side hustles, other endeavors, so that when I get to phase three and four, I'm not in the car delivering McDonald's as much. I'm doing other things, right? So like for me, my goals, I kind of chopped them up into different one or one and a here, one or one and a half year increments so that I didn't feel like I needed to do it all at once. Um, because much like David was talking about, like I would like sometimes do too much, like grind too hard, make my body physically not like like break down. And what I learned from that was I can get a lot done in a week, let's say, right? But then the following week, if I'm not really useful, then basically I just I just traded one week for the next. So I really didn't get a lot of work done, right? Over that two week span. So I'm learning now to kind of like, okay, I got phase one, phase two. Okay, let me figure out how to like, like think about what I want to do next year and like make sure I'm doing the correct things now so that I'm not burnt out when next year comes. So I'm trying to be like not, I'm trying to step back a little bit and realize maybe one day I don't need to work as much and hit that $200 goal. Cause I used to have a $200 a day goal. I don't have, I've minimized that goal now for me because I realized that I can't achieve my other bigger dreams. If I'm in my car for 10 hours a day, I just can't, like there's not enough time and hours in the day. So I'm trying to like work less and maybe make less now on the apps because it'll be a benefit benefit for me later in life. If that makes sense. Oh, and also when you burn yourself, even if you work five days in a row doing 10 hours as yeah, opposed to seven, a lot. Yeah. You're, you're able to perform on day six a lot better if you've worked seven every day. Yeah. Well, plus part of my, part of my goal personally is to have a better work-life balance. Like I want to, like, I, I do every breakfast and every dinner with my daughter. Like that's a big deal for me. Right. Mm -hmm. So, so that's six days a week, not seven. So like, that's a big deal. Put her to sleep, give her a bath, read her bedtime book. Like I could make a lot more money, but like, what's the cost? Okay. I'm losing time with my kid. Right. So, right. and I want to be around every holiday. So like for me, like I'm, I'm okay with taking the less money now on the gig apps because it's going to serve my bigger goal a better. It's going to be allow me to get to my end game a lot quicker, actually. And that's a hard pill to swallow because like you want to make a thousand bucks a week with DoorDash. But like I have to sacrifice that if I really want to do the things I want to do a couple of years from now. And that, that's tough to think about, but it's, it's worth it for me. It's working out. OK, so. John, how about yeah. uh, what? I mean, because I know you do again. I know you do. What what are your long term goals or. You know, how do, are, are you doing anything about your long term goals in the here and now? And I mean, I mean, I guess I should restate that long term goals could be paying off credit. It could be starting a business. It does. It, there is no definition behind it. I mean, it's whatever your goal is. If your goal is to pay off debt, you know, maybe you've got it spread around and, and really it's just been rough on you and it's stressing you out every night. Well, then that seems like your target, you know, is debt. Um but what about you, John? I mean, I know that you've got, I know you've got lots of ambitions and big ideas. So, um, you know, is there a timeline that goes with that? Is there, is there things that you've tried to put on yourself as like earmark or benchmark points or? Uh, yeah, really good question. Uh, for me, well, you know, to I, I wanted to quickly address um, the point we were talking about earlier about, you know, day in, day out, what it is that I do to stay healthy and, you know, try to reduce my stress. Um, in the morning, I work out. 
Um, you know, either, you know, depending how I feel that day, I'll go around, shoot some hoops or um, I'll lift weights. I, I realize that that gets me ready physically and mentally for a day. And then also, um, you know, I just look at, you know, gig work as a marathon. I look at it the long, the long game rather than the short game. So I try not to burn myself out like I used to. So, you know, if I'm working eight hours a day, if I'm not going to hit my goal, I just go home and try to do better the next day. Uh, I realize that, you know, if I, if I do that, then. I'm feeling better, like you guys said, you know, in, you know, second week, third week of the month, rather than try to work 10, 12 hours a day and tell myself like, oh, you know, I'll just work six hours the next day. It doesn't work that way. But to answer your question, um, yeah, I have a lot of long-term goals. Uh, you know, I'm trying to grow my Instagram account. Um, I'm actually, I think we've had this conversation before. I'm actually starting um, a new YouTube channel for, you know, for the videos that I was, I've already been making on my channel. But that YouTube channel is going to be dedicated to the self-development videos. I'm going to try to grow that. And, uh, you know, sell, sell more books. Um, I hate this word, you know, influencer, but, you know, kind of become that type of person and, you know, just, just try to, um, you know, spread the message that I feel like I was put on this planet, which is, you know, the five, the five foundations of contentment, because I think a lot of people could use it right now, uh, you know, become a public speaker, um, kind of like, you know, become like a mini version of Tony Robbins. I guess that's it. That's the best way I could put it. <laughs> Love that's it. a good way to put it. That's awesome. I mean, yeah. yeah, gender pay gaps. Uh, there's articles from April of this year about um, women are being paid less than men in a study. Now, this is from WeForum, you know, and then I found a thing on Forbes uh, um, that women have the best opportunity in the gig economy right now. And that what policy and on, on a political side, what policymakers need to know about women in the gig economy, because it's particularly suited as flexible ad hoc work allows them to um, do, uh, and this will get, this will seem sexist to some people because they're stay-at-home dads as well. But, uh, you know, if they're taking care of kids at home, it allows them more flexibility for that and whatnot. What, what do you guys, what do you guys know? Do you, do you, what is anything st that stands out to you as a woman in the gig economy that's, Maybe us, maybe David and I have never experienced or um, anything. I mean, is there, are, do you feel like all, like, like, do you feel like you like to, I know that Holly will work late. Um, I know that Lisa will work a little later, probably if it's like the other the deliveries and groceries, she doesn't want to do ride share at night. I get all this. So it's to each their own safety levels. But do you like, I, I've saw a bunch of articles on, uh, stats that show that women don't like working after dark, that it's way more men after dark, regardless of which platform it is. And see, again, this is where I get into a bit of a jam because I know all you guys and I think that you all work after dark. Yeah, I know I do. I work until yeah. 9, 10 so. o'clock at night. Um, but I also come from a retail background where I used to work at night. So to me, it's nothing that I'm not used to just because that was my background before. So it, to me, it's like the same concept. If I'm used to working it now, I'm working it again. Like it's just something I'm accustomed to. So yeah, I do. I do work at nights, but that's where the money is. I mean, to say that there's a pay gap, I don't know. I, I feel like I kind of prove that wrong a little bit every single week. Um, but maybe I'm shortening myself because I'm not doing ride share. But to me, that's my own personal choice, not by gender, just by that's my choice. I don't want to do ride share. If I chose to do ride share, you know, I could be making more money, but that's not the choice I want to make for myself. And then 
as far as, you know, I mean, a lot of times I do this for the flexibility, just like you said, because I'm a mom. I get my daughter, uh, I know, on the bus in the morning. I get her off the bus in the afternoon. I play mom in the afternoon, and then I go out at night and do my thing. So, you know, those are kind of the, I think those are like the three things you talked about, but that's kind of what it fits into my life and why I do gig work. Honestly, well, if I could make enough doing deliveries during the day, I would. Um, I do deliver at night, but I take my 16-year-old son with me because I have terrible eyes and it's hard for me to see. And he actually enjoys doing that with me because he just got his permit, so he's practicing his driving. Mm -hmm. um, but if I could make enough money during the day and not worry about going out at night, I absolutely would. Uh, nothing, Not that I'm... Because I stick to areas that are that are closed. I try not to go. There are times when I'm in an area that's not safe, um, but more just because I I want to be home at night. And I really feel like lately I'm in order to make up the money. I don't make enough during the day, so a lot of times I don't have a choice that I have to go out at night. So it's usually me working part of the day, get home. You know I kids from school, what have you, go back out again later, come back home, dinner, and then go back out again. So I I don't have the choice to like uh, say, I can't go out at night, I'm too afraid. It's just, it's almost like not an option for me if I want to make some money. That's like uh, the bummer in what you just said, though, is you got you to gotta rally yourself three times a day to go Sometimes out and work. More. Sometimes more. See, that's, that's, that's tough to me because once I'm out, I'm good. But the I, rallying I to, to come home have a down minute even then get like get back out that door oh Believe me too i i wish i could work a straight through shift i just with my son i i can't do that i have to be home get whatever make sure he's good go back out again i'm lucky enough to where i can leave for a couple of hours but absolutely i wish i could work a straight through shift yeah if yeah. i go home even just i'm gonna run in and go to the bathroom really quick it's like i'm so adhd i'm just like oh there's laundry oh there's the dogs oh there's this oh this and it's like <laughs> two hours later i'm like oh crap i was supposed to go here you know <laughs> um, yeah it doesn't work lisa well. what, what about you um all right so i have several things that i was thinking about while everybody was talking so i'll try and like keep it like compartmentalized and not lose my train of thought but for me um I don't think there is a wage gap because a wage gap would mean that a man and a woman with the same skill level doing the exact same job are being paid less, once being paid more and once being paid less. And as far as I know, DoorDash and Uber Eats and Uber and Lyft don't discriminate based on gender. So there's not a wage gap that way. I think I read the same article you did and their argument for the wage gap is that women are um, pay, play more of a caretaker role. So they're not able to work as much as men or they're worried about safety. So they don't drive during the busy times because of their safety issues. Um, but for me, I do drive at night to a certain point and only not because I don't feel safe, but because I have a very strict bedtime for myself. Yeah, And I like to be home at a certain time and in bed because I have to wake up the next morning, wrangle my five kids, homeschool them, and that doesn't work if I don't get good sleep. So, and that's what I have to put up against against this. Yes, because it probably was the same one we were reading. And to be honest, like 
that kind of bothered me because I was thinking this, I was thinking of you group of ladies and of course, Faith, who was supposed to be here. So I'm going to point her out and single her <laughs> out that she is not here. Um, Faith, we miss you here tonight. Yeah. But uh, I honestly, like, I know all of you to hustle and earn and just like everybody else, make what you need to make. Maybe even more so than some of the guys I know. <laughs> Well, you know, like, so to me, like, I don't see it like that gender gap doesn't exist. I think that they onboard everybody. And yes, we all see the same rates. I mean, there could be surges or bonuses, but I just, you guys are able to, you and Tony are able to do side-by-side -side phones. So, I mean, you can kind of see that. I just don't really think that's happening. If I, if it is, I don't know. I mean, I will retract the words and I feel horrible and I will deep dive into it, but I, I just don't, I don't see it that way that this article was talking about it. So let me ask all you guys this, because even though we went through the holidays that were listed, obviously they're the biggest ones they are the ones that most people would list. Um, right now, I don't even care so much about the actual holidays as it's the time period between Thanksgiving and Christmas is time to make bank um, across the board. And last year I was doing it on apps that I haven't used since last Christmas. Yeah. So between now and January 1st, does everybody remember what their what was their major income earner last year? What their favorite app was? Why? Because um, if I remember right, like Jason was doing Spark before most markets were, oddly. He was just, his market might have even gone a little earlier than some. Yeah, most most of my money uh, last year was Spark, but I definitely did Amazon Flex too. I made yep. bank on Amazon Flex, but it beats the crap out of your car. They're sending you out to rural routes and country yeah. roads, and it's potholes and trees down and creepy houses. And uh, but yeah, I mean that's I was making forty five fifty an hour. That's what the blocks were dropping at. So it's like it's hard to turn that down, you know. But yeah. So yeah, is that, that is that, is that your strategy for this year? I have not done one flex route. Okay. Uh, gas is four dollars a gallon, and some of those routes you might you might get it for thirty an hour, but you might drive hundred and fifty miles for that route. Mm. That's the bad thing with with flex, and so I've been focusing on Spark and DoorDash and Uber Eats. I mean, I stay right in my really tight area where I live. I rarely go more than seven miles away from anything and and it's just yeah like my truck gets like 15 and a half it's not even a truck it's an suv it's got two hundred fifty thousand, but it gets 15 and a half <laughs> miles per gallon like i can't be doing 150 mile routes i just can't do it so yeah you, you but, gotta stay in that that smaller area i yeah. am I'm, I'm surprised I, so spark is still good for you it's been a little bit more sketch this year. It's not been as lucrative as it be as it's become more popular. Um, but um, yeah, I uh, it's it's about it, it, I would say it's still majority of my income. But last year it was like almost all of it. I barely did any DoorDash. See, I feel like what you what you went through last year with Spark is what every what most people I know, even in bigger markets than you, are going through with Spark right now. Okay. I feel like they were like when you were going through it, like most people weren't onboarded to Spark. It wasn't in every area and you were like loving it. And then mm -hmm. you, I remember talking, you had said like, yeah, it's still good. It's not as good. It's still good, though. And 
yeah. then everybody else was like, oh, this is the best app ever. And I was, I, I just keep going back to you and remembering, you know, first of all, all apps honeymoon period ends. Yeah. I mean, it just does. Um, you know, you can milk them as long as you want, but at some point, Spark has to go down a bit. And I feel well, like a lot of people have their eggs in the Spark basket right now. Yeah, I mean, I think I think just like any app, like you said, the honeymoon period, and then it just gets saturated with drivers. I mean, they yeah. some of these apps, I think even DoorDash will waitlist people if it's too much, which I guess is kind of nice. Um, but yeah, I, I feel like there's a lot of people and, you know, everyone talks, right? Like I'm in a couple of spark groups and it's just like, oh my gosh, everyone's like, this is the best job ever. I'm like, <laughs> shut up. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> to, add, to add on to that, I recently just got into spark. I mean, I think I have three weeks of earnings on spark. So I've been waiting all year to get in. Because like you just said, Jason, everybody like, oh, my goodness, Spark is so good. It's the best thing ever. Oh, my goodness. Why are you wasting your time with DoorDash? So, you know, I'm like, I got to have it. You know, I need it. So I finally get in and lo and behold, it's in the holiday season. So Mm -hmm. what what I take from that is I only got off the waiting list because of the influx of volume during the holiday season. Now, that's that's great for me. You know, I'm in. But what does that mean for the drivers that have been working it all year when January comes around and the holiday season's over and I'm right. still on the schedule? You know, I'm 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 out. I'm out in my area working versus me not being able to work. Who I feel like I was let in just because of the holiday season, but it may not necessarily be a need for me in my market, if that makes sense. Yeah, I that spark is one app i have not really figured out like you know doordash you kind of figure it out like where they hide the tips and Mm -hmm. you just figure out systems and stuff i I haven't really figured out spark yet i don't know their rhyme or reason it's very weird i don't i mean i know a little bit but i mean i still need time to really kind of think about it or you know do it more i guess i guess the big question is do you guys feel safe always when you're out and about do you ever find yourself in situations where you don't feel safe? So do I ever feel unsafe? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, I live in a pretty safe city, but there's entire areas that I would like to avoid. Uh, have I found myself in sketchy situations? Absolutely. I found myself in sketchy situations during the day. Uh, right. You know, I've, I've delivered to squatters before in abandoned motels that were boarded and otherwise fenced up and they had broken in and i didn't know it so i was like right there always check your delivery instructions and michael what about you yeah i mean for the most part i feel safe uh dothan is not a huge city uh yet there was a mall shooting not too long ago and also a shooting at the veterans day parade which is crazy but um yeah if i ever feel like i'm taking an order and i missed where I was going to be actually ending up at. I usually, uh, even, even though I don't get that many Uber Eats, I hit the follow my ride. So it goes to my wife so she can, uh, like know if I'm not moving or something, something's going on. So I I do, I do use that for Uber so I can give them that much. Yeah. What were Um, the delivery instructions on this sort of abandoned motel? I'm intrigued. Yeah. I'd like to know. So it came through as an address range. I haven't seen that on Grubhub in a very long time, but uh, back when this happened, it, it was like, I don't know. I don't remember the exact address anymore, but it was a range. So uh, that was my first like 
something's janky here. And in the delivery instructions, it just said uh, Villa Inn or something like that, which is, uh, I'm sure it was a lovely spot uh, back before it was infested uh, and became a drug den. But uh, it just said Villa Inn room, whatever. And I'm pulling up and I'm like, looking at the sign, I'm like, oh crap, that says Villa Inn, but there's a fence right there. But I noticed the fence was open. So I was like, maybe they're doing construction somewhere in here and nope nope there were uh uh orange uh condemned signs posted on almost every door in the place most of the rooms were boarded up and uh they had three or four rooms maybe that i saw that didn't have the boards up and people were living in them and somebody came out and got their food from a room yep she well, sure that's did. even that goes beyond squatter to me. That that man, like... she, it was it was like some hills have eyes stuff, man. She like kind of like meerkats out of the door and like staring at me as I'm pulling up, and I'm like, man, I'm gonna get robbed by a little old lady, <laughs> right? Or she's so, man, just I, the, I, she's I, like she's the attraction. She's supposed to get your eyes to focus on her while somebody else jumps you. Man, like I was worried you about know, getting my like, car stolen or something in the middle of the day. Yeah, I don't know if I'd have delivered that. <laughs> yeah. That was a while back. I was a pretty new driver at the time. So uh, standard thoughts have uh, you know prevailed since, and, and I would have been turning that right back around. Well, so that, okay, let's, 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 uh, let's walk into the para flagging feature then, because that would have really come in handy or hopefully now you've, you've dubbed the Villa area as no bueno. <laughs> <laughs> they're they're revitalizing that area now but yeah for a while that that one specific road was just horrible but so both you guys but, use the para app and have you you used it during tip transparency and sense and whatnot do you what do you think about the flagging feature let's talk about that a little bit go ahead michael oh okay uh i haven't used para in a while uh just being honest um mm -hmm. uh, I'm, I'm not opposed to using it but I, I did use it when it did have the flagging feature. I enjoyed it, actually. I uh, actually asked Jimmy if they would actually flag good customers. It's come up with some way to flag good, <laughs> you know, good customers. So I wouldn't miss that for any, you know, for any reason. But um, overall, it's an outstanding option because they would pop up and I would know instantly why, you know, because I, you can put notes in there if I'm not, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yeah, you can sort of customize it or put a reason as to why. And I think I'm surprised. I think you know, I was looking at the numbers again, which is like 40% of the flags are positive, even though we still don't have a very obviously sort of like positive uh, experience, right? I think a lot yeah. of them are actually quite positive, which has been surprising uh, in a good way, yeah. in a good way. Yeah, and I, it would make me look at the flag because um, I knew it was I knew it was either bad and I'd almost instantly declined. But then I, when I started doing uh, good customers, it made me slow down and read actually what was going on. <laughs> so I didn't want to miss somebody. <laughs> yeah, I was surprised at how often people actually, when we first built it, I was thinking like, how often are you going to see the same lady, the same apartment, the restaurant, obviously, I know you'd see a bunch of the same restaurant, but I guess I've been surprised how often people see the same, you know, deliver to the same place, I guess. Yeah, I get the same customers all the time. I, I, I think it, I, I'm so sold that it depends on the market. Like here in Denver, I, I never get the same customers for on any platform. Doesn't matter. Like never, 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 never. I can never, usually never. look at the map and know 
the customer. Well, sometimes. And I can be like, oh, that's going to such and such. I don't even need the GPS for this. I know exactly where we're going. Yeah. So, um, yeah, the flagging feature is great. It's, uh, you know, like, like you were talking about, I, I flag both good uh, and uh, not so good customers. My comments range anywhere from this person was a dick to uh, this person was a great tipper. So it, it's been, uh, and, and actually furthermore, uh, kind of going back to the safety part, uh, I drive a standard and uh, I, I am you know, quite good at driving it, but uh, in certain parts of my city, there's driveways that are you know, like that. And you know, this one specific driveway, I drove down without realizing it curved and I had to back up uh, up this like really steep curvy driveway. And um, the customer was uh, flagged in para for two reasons. Uh, number one, because they tipped very well, but number two, because I wanted to remind myself not to go down the driveway. So I said, great tipper, walk down driveway. And that came <laughs> yeah. in very handy about two weeks later. Oh, that's that's awesome. So it, it, it came back. It came back. Yeah, it just it just means that you have to read all of them, though, like you were saying, David, like, you know, like mm -hmm. we needed yeah. the positive, too, as well as the negative. So, like, even if you're so, flagging it, yeah. you can flag what I hear the positive. We have, yeah, what I hear is we have some work to do. We should probably have, like, little bubbles and one's, like, a good thing and one's a bad thing or something like that, right? Uh, <laughs> or, du or double bads or a stack yeah. department. <laughs> or a middle <laughs> finger or something. Yeah, with the, yeah, yeah, that's funny. You could set your own, set your own emoji or something. So not this person. Overall, I think the compared to w2 i think is still a valid you know gig gig economy is, is a valid competitor to the w2 job today i wouldn't have said that maybe 15 20 years ago because w2 yeah. came with a lot more benefits a lot more sustainability now w2 is like what is that 18 and, and, and don't forget time. job security either yeah you don't have that no nobody has that anymore I mean, very, very, very few. And even them, I'm not so sure of. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. It's bad. But I want to sort of give a shout out. I agree very much with the sort of utilization rate because when I've worked at sort of Uber in ops, right, the stat that we always track the most for drivers is trips per hour, right, which is the Uber's version of sort of utilization rate. Uh, and I think that was sort of the rationale for all the price cuts, right, was the idea that, hey, you can cut the prices but trips per hour was going up because you're unlocking demand with the price cut but i feel like to be honest almost everyone who if you look at the population of the u.s most people have heard of uber right i think this line when i worked at uber was despite the fact that this was a huge company something like 12 percent of the population have even heard of uber uh, that's just not the case anymore, right? So these price cuts hurt because there is just no more trips per hour to go up. So you have sort of the double whammy of sort of there are not that many new people joining the platform and you have more drivers and you have a lower price cut. And I think that's really uh, it's a tough I mean, you, David, you're correct on that. They've reached such scale now that I don't think their intent is to grow, right? Because they have 122 million monthly active users as of, as of, as of the last quarter. So, I mean, pretty much every adult that should could be on Uber is is a, as a passenger or an Uber Eats customer or DoorDash or whatever. So everybody's in the game, right? And you would think, since all 122 million are there, the demand is going to stay pretty constant. Even you know goes through some ebbs and flows, but the only constant is if the demand even stays constant. But you double the you know or or even the 50 percent rate. Um, increase the driver base, you know, pie stayed the same. My sliver just became thinner. So to me as a driver, 
utilization rate to me is very, 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 very important, right? Yep. And 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 for Uber, it's the quite the opposite. For Lyft, quite the opposite. For us, is is you know the only I only get paid when I have a butt in the back seat. Yeah, that's the only time. So and I think that's really sort of a, why our philosophy at Para is like get as many opportunities as you can in one place. Is exactly because of that utilization, right? It's like you can't yep. depend on one platform to fill that utilization, right? You got it. That's that's the driver of money. You're completely right. 100%. Chris can talk about that a lot. He talks about it quite a bit. It's about multi-apping, right? You got to have choices, man. Mm -hmm. You can't just be on yep. Uber and say, oh, I'm going to make money. You're just not going to. Not these days. Uh, before yep. jumping to multi-apping real quick, I want to ask David something. I, I, I'm, because you ha you're the only one of us that actually has operational experience within the walls and the confines of the castle <laughs> of Uber. <laughs> um I'm curious. So the whole time that, or the, the time you were there, that since then, everything, it's always been, let's oversaturate markets. Let's just onboard everybody and bring them on. Why now, in your best guess, I know you don't, nobody knows, but in your best guess, why now would they be doing that same thing when all these states are moving towards these new regulatory payment methods massachusetts potentially being unionized on january 1st i mean why now keep oversaturating like sergio was saying eight cars I think, within i think a, a couple of things so i've worked there sort of like 2015 to 17 and the philosophy back then was sort of two things right uh the best way to grow end user growth right which is sort of people calling the rides was predicted by eta Right. So the lower the ETA, the more people used Uber, the more people used Uber, the more trips drivers should go up, pay should go up over time. The second one was they found that that was the fastest way to gain market share on Lyft. Right. So people would open up the two apps, sure. whichever app said it was there the fastest. If the price was roughly the same, the ETA was what drove the choice between the two platforms. Right. And I think, you know, what you saw was that, you know, that's the idea was, you know, capture, capture, capture more and more of the market, more and more people start using it. And that happened. But I think you've hit that sort of point of saturation. So I think, why are they doing it now? I don't have the answer, but sort of two things. I think one, we have to believe that to some extent there still is the Lyft's market share is plateaued, if not going down in some of the places. Can we continue to use ETA to drive them into the ground? And I think sort of uh, number two is these marketplace things you sort of, when I was there, they would always say you sort of balance the market in six-week segments. But essentially, to some extent, there was probably these huge onboarding pushes when the times were good six months ago, earlier at the beginning of the year, that are working their way through now, plus what's going on with the economy, right? So I guess not a simple answer there, but that's, that's how I'm thinking about it. Well, I mean, it's the unintentional consequence of the economy, of the macroeconomy, right? I mean, Uber, I, it, this is the lowest costs that they had. I mean, I'm sure David can attest to that. When he was there, they were spending ridiculous amounts of money onboarding drivers and bonuses and sign-up bonuses and things like that. That does not exist today anymore because people are just voluntarily doing it because they need cash. And barriers mm -hmm. to entry is so easy when it comes to being a driver, right? Yeah. And and where can you make a couple hundred bucks extra cash a week? Just all, a couple hundred bucks. But it adds to the driver supply. Yeah. You know, it's Uber and Lyft or DoorDash or, you know, Instacart or whatever it is. If, if your goal is making a couple, 300 bucks a week to make ends meet, this is the fastest way to do it. 
When I was there, the city of LA, right, was spending two to three million dollars a week on yep. new driver bonuses and incentives for drivers, just the city of LA. Yeah. Right. And I think to some extent a lot of that was also driven with the price war with Lyft. So that was yep. why so much money was being spent, basically. Yep. Uh, but think about that. That like the city of LA alone was spending uh, there's only eighty thousand drivers, eighty to hundred thousand drivers in LA County. I mean, yep. it's not that much, but you have to also understand the turnover rate, right? The burnout rate is, is intense. I mean, 70% quit in less than a year because they do it for a couple, three hours until in between jobs or whatever, because Uber sold it as put your side hustle on. That was their mm -hmm. slogan, right? So mm -hmm. a lot of people just do it for a few hours a week, make a couple hundred bucks, be happy. Uh, but it adds to the driver misery because in those ebbs and flows until the pandemic, I mean, you know, they just kept, onboarding new drivers and, and they're doing it now because people actually the first time i think in 12 years their their driver supply is totally sufficient to the demand totally is and they're not spending a penny to do it these days because people are just doing it because they need if it. if you could you're you're good sometimes at just pulling something out just just to find the <laughs> other side so if you could if you if you were with doordash and is there any any cell that you could have to the team on why, why full transparency might be a good idea right now. And I know that everybody's not 100% clear on everything going on politically with all this stuff, but to whatever degree you are, um, is there any pitch you could give the team at all? Any pitch? Oh, that's a tough one. Um, you know, I, I personally believe in full transparency just because as independent contractors, we should be able to take a job and know exactly how much we're taking in order to complete a job. That's really what it actually means. And, you know, the whole hiding is what hinders us from doing our jobs appropriately. So, yep. you know, you know, I know as much as Grubhub is failing right now, like they have full transparency. Yeah, but they I had wait lists before the, they, they've actually done things properly. They just didn't play out right. Now, I think DoorDash just needs to get their, I think they are so busy with orders. I think they need to get their orders delivered and they're going to do it at no matter cost, whether it's hiding tips, whether it's doing these different programs, you know, if they go into a Grubhub type model, will they get every order delivered? And I think that's kind of the disconnect kind of between the two apps because i know me personally i use grubhub to get those really good orders and I'm, I'm i'm gonna wait for those good orders to come through i'm like okay now i'm gonna take it whereas if grubhub sends me and making this up a six dollar order i'm like no so it's grubhub I'll, I'll wait for that larger order the same thing would happen unfortunately with doordash you would keep waiting until you get especially if on you're on the large order program I'm just going to sit back and wait for those large orders to come through and not have to work as hard for those smaller orders. Mm. So I think that's like the, at least in my opinion, the big disconnect. But I think DoorDash is designed to make sure that their orders get delivered. That's their priority. And all these programs are designed to see what works best to get the orders delivered the quickest to the customer in a timely manner. And I also think some of these programs just keep Stordash in the limelight and in the news because we keep talking about them. The more these programs come out, the more we talk about them and the more popular they get because we keep talking about Stordash. I agree. 
Yeah, and then you get well to said. the you get to the you, the <laughs> fact that only fifteen percent of us work over seventeen hours a week in the yeah. gig economy. Yeah. So the eighty five percent that don't, that's just churn rate. Those people are going to come and go, or they're going to work one night a week, and they and they actually don't even care. They probably don't even break yeah. it down on any level. They're like, oh, I made sixty bucks, and we go out to the bar. It's just some yep. kind of like last minute money if they're even mm-hmm. doing it once a week, but. I mean, for the 15% of us, you're right. You're putting out a buzz. The one that yeah. I have done that you've done is shipped. Right. Um, oh. And I want to, I want to hit on that a little bit. Spark and corner shop. Like you had a right. shot at corner shop. I never did. We never, I never got it here. Corner shop was a quick, fast love affair. It was here. Then it was gone. But, I loved you, it had, it was but you, but you had it longer than most, most people. Uh, it was a quick, quick love affair. It seemed like you had it for a bit. Right. Yeah. The one thing I, I would do kind of semi regret about Corner Shop is that um, the app isn't as user friendly. So when I first got on there, I didn't take an order for probably two or three months. And then I got on it. And then three or four months later, it was, hey, we're going to go away in two, three months. So, But they uh, were paying like crazy so, spark type prices and things like that for you to go do shops. Right. That is curry type model. pricing. So the yeah. big thing with Corner Shop was their pay model. It did two or three things very well. It separated the picking, which is like the shopping, from the delivery. Uh, secondly, it uh, had a variable pay for based on the weight of the items. So like if uh, the number of the items and the weight came into factor, if you're picking up a lot of water, because those are heavy. So that would pay you more for that, the number of the items. So a five-item order is going to pay you differently than a 40-item order. And then the distance you have to drive a to the store, which I don't think most apps do, as well as the distance that you drive to the customer. So by compensating for those multiple levels, as well as adding the tips on top of that, it made most shops at least fifteen to twenty dollars. Um, and they're you know for a smaller shop, and then the big shops were forty fifty dollars plus. So that that's what they did very well with that pay model. Now the reason they went away because they got bought by Uber. And then Uber basically made all of those orders uh, follow the Uber pay model, which is the $2 base pay, and then tips on top of that. Maybe a yeah. slightly higher pace pay for their shop and deliver orders, but not When you were, corner when shop you were shopping corner shop, though, they were part of Uber. They were owned by Uber. It was interesting. So right, they're owned they're by from Uber. Per, they're from Peru. Is that they're from the... Canada? Too. Oh, really? So they're from oh, Latin no. America. Somewhere in Latin America. Really? I didn't know yeah, that. I think okay. it's Peru. Interesting. Yeah. But, so yeah, they were owned by Uber, but they weren't uh, integrated with the Uber platform from the delivery side. They were integrated with Uber from the buyer side. Like if I was a Uber Eats customer and I went to the grocery tab, I could order corner shop groceries. Right. And that brings me into, so that, that great pay that you were seeing on corner shop, and that's just the Uber way to do it quick. But now that brings me into Spark, which is the one of the uh, the three that I mentioned that I didn't do because the driven said it sucked, along with other people in my market. I know everybody right. around the country is raving about Spark, but here in Denver, I know a handful of people, um, including some gig tubers, uh, not just the Drivens, Van, and uh, Ron Entre Courier, who have all tried Spark. We have had no luck with it here. We cannot make money with it here. And it's, I don't know if it's an oversaturation or just one of those things where the market just doesn't pay like that. I don't, but well, I it seems like every, it seems like we're always a great gig market for any app that comes here. But with Spark, it sucks, man. And 
I mean, I, I don't know. Tell me because you seem yeah. to have the story that everybody else has. So I, I do think Spark is market dependent because at the end of the day, Spark is Walmart. And if you're, you know, the people in your area aren't shopping at Walmart, number one, you're not going to get a, a good enough. Everybody volume. shops Walmart here. We have tons of them. Uh, yeah. So that's the first thing. And the second thing is then the store, because uh, with Spark, there's two basic types of orders. There's the uh, the delivery only where they come and they load up your trunk in your backseat and then you deliver. And then there's the shop and deliver orders. Now, if you're getting a lot of those delivery only orders, then you're going to be uh, subject to the wait times at that store. Uh, number one. Number two, that's if you even get a good order where the people are tipping well. So there's still need some tips to make Spark worth it if you're doing those delivery only orders. Now, on the other side of the coin, their shopping orders, um, I'm not sure how they, how can I say this? I guess how they determine what's how many shop orders are going to be at a store. But those are the orders that I prefer. They have higher base pays. Uh, I mean, the shopping order is like $15 base pay. And uh, it goes up from there based on you know the distance, the amount of items. I mean, I've seen a shop and deliver order that had a, just the other night had a $50 base pay on it for... I want to say 60 items. So that's something that I'm not seeing on the other platforms like shipped, uh, even, even on um, corner shop, that would have been probably a pretty high base pay. Um, but now, like I said, if you're not, if your store is not getting a lot of shopping orders, then it's probably not going to be worth it. Cause you're going to be stuck to either getting a good order uh, based on the tips. And then B, if you have a wait time, it's going to depend on that wait time. If it's worth it, if you have to wait an hour for a $30 order, Maybe it's worth it, but you know, it's oftentimes you're going to be waiting in, to get a second order, so it's not going to really be worth it in the long run. 